I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there or meet them at a trade show or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Pat Ford with us. He's the executive director of the Marion County Industrial Foundation in one of the prettiest spots of Kentucky, I guess there is. So, Pat, welcome. It's good to be here, and you took the words right out of my mouth, and thank you for the shout-out on our location and our and our quality of life. That's right. Well, Pat's one of our executive search finds, so we really want to uh, – Want to show off. I've been hearing great things out of him in Kentucky, and he's where there's a whole lot of nice quality of life stuff. So why don't we start, Pat, with you just telling folks where Marion County is. We are in central Kentucky. We are uh, on the Bourbon Trail, and we are also in the heart of manufacturing. What makes us particularly unique is that even though we have a county seat that has 5,000 people in Lebanon and a county of almost 20,000 people, we have some 40 industries in our community that employ almost 10,000 people that we draw from practically 12 states. So we have a very robust economy here. We have industries in the clusters of value-added metal, transportation, logistics, healthcare, agriculture, spirits, automotive, and plastic injection molding. So a very diverse economy here. I remember when we did the executive search and I visited up there, I was shocked. So the county's roughly 20,000. And you got 40 industries, and some of these are major league industries, suppliers to the big automotive companies. Of course, you got Maker's Mark as well. So talk about the history of that organization you're running. I know your predecessor was there for many years, so they've had good stability, but but they figured out how to do deals in small towns. I mean, people would be shocked if they went to this county and seen how much industry is here. They would be shocked, and what they would also be, what really shocked me, having done industrial development in larger cities is that the only cities that I would see the volume and density of the industries that we have here would be in Riverport cities, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, on the coast in Florida, where you have uh, river port activity, you would have rail activity, you would have air, and you would have ground transportation. 
And all of our transportation logistics here are solely handled by tractor trailer and highways. So that was an incredible shock to me. But there's a couple things that worked in our favor. Our central location on supply chains going north and south, and also our proximity to major automotive manufacturers in our region. And again, our workforce and also our land. So you couple those things together and our organization over the past, gosh, probably going on 40 years now, took advantage of those and we're reaping the benefits of that. Now you mentioned bourbon trail. So tell our folks which bourbon distillery you have there. So we actually have an international brand now and that is uh, everybody knows Maker's Mark. We like to think that Maker's Mark is your go-to bourbon and they have a rich history here. And they also have a great draw, not only for people that are tourists, but also for other industries that like to be proximate to an industry like that. We also have a growing craft distillery in Limestone Branch. And for the second year in a row, they've ranked now in the top 10 craft distillers in the United States, and they're located right here. And they continue to grow. So between the two, and now a third one that's under construction, Bullet Bourbon. So Diageo is building a facility that's well over $100 million in their investment. So we have three large and nationally and internationally renowned bourbon distilleries right here in Marion County. I didn't know you had Bullet. So when I was in college, I used to drink a whole lot of Maker's Mark. And now Bullet is the one I like. So that's it. I'm just, I can just get it all right there in, that's uh, exactly in right. Lebanon, Kentucky. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're great experiences. And you know what? These are, and again, they're brand distillers. You know, having three distilleries concentrated right here really uh, bodes well for us. And also our ability to mark other distilleries as well. And we also have the value add industries that are associated with those distilleries here as well. A lot of people don't know what goes into making that product and how it's stored and they're actually stored in barrels for years and we actually make those barrels here at our cooperage and they actually have now opened up a tourist facility there to actually show people you know how these barrels are made and they supply a lot of our distilleries right here in Kentucky and we also have a second cooperage Canton Cooperage that makes barrels for wine. So again, a very robust spirits and distilling industry, not to mention the agriculture and the corn and crops that go along with the making it. We have that right here as well. And to our listeners around the country, if you have not heard of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail or been to, it's really something to do. I mean, there's all kinds of tourists do it. And first Kentucky Derby I went to, my date and I on Sunday, Derby's course on Saturday. On Sunday, we went and toured Maker's Mark. And she had them do her a bottle, her own bottle. And it's, uh, my gosh, the first derby I went to was 2011. So I think I had to sit there seven years. So I bet she's got it by now. <laughs> but they by the put way, her own label in it. She had a tracking yeah. number. She could get on the internet and see how it was doing, you know. If you ever want to uh, need someone to help you with tasting it when you open that, you know where I am. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I know uh, a lot of the bourbon companies now are owned by Japanese investors, if I remember. And then you also have some Japanese automotive suppliers. So it's just interesting if you really think about all the investment you have from Japanese companies within your small county. So talk a little bit about that. Again, talking about the diversity, in addition to having a very robust mix of industry clusters here, we also have a lot of international investment. We have some six countries from around the world with their flags displayed right out of our office who invest here. And again, not only are we on the radar for industries nationally, but we're also on the radar for industries internationally. And it's very 
comforting to recognize the fact that our future is secure with these global investments. So as our nation and as our country and the world ebbs and flows economically, you know, it's very comforting and it adds a level of security, financial security for all of our industries to know that these partners are here investing and growing in our community. Now, I know you're close to where all the beautiful horse farms are. I don't, there's not any in Marion County, is there? Or am I forgetting that there is one? But I know you're close to all those beautiful horse farms. There's a couple of them. I think they might be used for uh, local racing and leisure. But again, not quite what they have in other parts of the state. Well, you know, the genius with Maker's Mark is they have had genius marketing. I mean, if you really look at what they've done, their marketing is just second to none. And you're really a sales and marketing guy. In my opinion, you're one of the best sales and marketing guys in this business. So talk about your background and passion with that. I once had an argument with an economic developer. He said, I don't like the word sales. And I said to myself, well, you might not should be in this business. That's just the way I see it. I mean, without sales, there's no net profit. Without net profit, we can't pay for schools and roads and so forth. But you, I mean, you really embrace it and you're good at it. So just talk about what gets you ticking in that way. Well, first of all, I appreciate those kind words. But it's interesting when you say that word sales. And I had the same reaction, you know, going through college when I started my professional career. And you'd always hear people saying that, I don't want to get into sales. You know, I don't want to be a salesman. I just don't want that quality of life. And it was almost sounded like it was a derogatory term. But then there, sometime in my career, and I think it was probably in my early 40s, I realized I wasn't getting anywhere in my profession. I wasn't moving the needle. And it dawned on me. And what dawned on me was to be good in this business, you've got to be good at sales. And then once I started realizing that, life is about sales and you said it right there and so at the end of the day what are we selling first we're selling ourselves because if you don't believe in yourself you can't sell then you got to believe in your product if you don't believe in your product you're not going to sell it so the fact of the matter is i believe in what we're selling and in economic development you are always selling you either selling an industry you are selling your workforce you're selling your quality of life, you're selling your climate, you're selling your incentives, you're selling to a bank. It is always sell, sell, sell. And you've got to do that now, not only in your traditional mediums, you've got to actually sell on the internet, social media, print media, news media, and all the different platforms. And you have to communicate it in a way also, in brief sound bites. We've evolved to that as well. So when you look at our sales videos, for lack of a better phrase, we have to sell our story, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on YouTube, you have to make that pitch in anywhere from a minute and a half to five minutes. And you have to sell the whole package. And so what we've been doing over the past nine months is collaborating with our Chamber of Commerce and our Tourist and Convention Commission to brand our area and to come up with a nice mix of sales pitches, if you will, for our quality of life, our industry clusters, our people, the security of our investments, the safety of the investment, and why Marion County. Thank you, Pat. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Pat Ford right after this.
I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building and sites database in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and sites on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, every time I did economic development, I was close to a border, so I was basically bordered in other states. And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door. If your building or site is on Lois, it's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. Computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I've found that works well on my iPad. A lot of the other ones, they just don't work as well. They tear the thing down. They don't remember your, your search query. If you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out, it forgets it. They're just hard to deal with. Lois is not. It's easy to use. It's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors. It walks you through inserting your information. So it tells you, place your gas line information here. Place your water line information here so you don't have to guess. You don't have to know code to make this thing work. But most importantly, once you push save, once you enter your information, it's going to go on a nationwide database, which is going to get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites, way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the State Economic Development website. It also inputs ESRI data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I encourage you to go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to location one. You'll be real happy you did. That's right. Well, I like that you embrace that. And I'll never forget when I was in Mobile, Alabama, actually the predecessor in my position, he and I went to lunch and he said, what funds everything that you see our city and county do? You know, I thought a minute, you know, I was like 23 and he finally said net profit. He said, <laughs> he said net profit funds it up without net profits. You know, we can't have schools, we can't have roads, we can't have police, we can't have fire. And it just went off to me. And you and I were talking offline before we got off. New Orleans is looking at a $170 million deficit right now due to the COVID situation because we got nobody coming to stay in our hotels and so forth. That's right. uh, You can call it whatever you want. You can call it marketing, whatever. At the end of the day, if we don't sell our communities, or if I don't sell our company, then at the end of the day, we're not going to generate taxes. You know, every time we make a sale with Next Move Group, I'm sending money to St. Louis, New Orleans, all these places that I got, you know, LLCs. <laughs> and that ends up funding everything. And 
we've actually been approached by a few people says, well, y'all do a sales training for economic developers. And I'm thinking we probably ought to do that. Maybe we'll need you to help us outline it. I'd be more than happy. But, uh, you know, it's interesting when you talk about, again, those net profits, you know, those investments that our mayor and our judge have made and the success that this office has had over the past 30 years in bringing these industries, it has sustained us through this pandemic. And again, just to go back to the importance of sales as an economic development agency, we were talking about restaurants closing their doors. We were talking about bars closing their doors. We knew that we needed to do something to help launch these restaurants and small businesses once that mandate would be lifted and they could open their doors. And then we also knew that once that they would be allowed to open, their hands would be tied because they would have these restrictions like the mandatory PPEs, the personal protective equipment, um, mandatory, for lack of a better phrase, density inside the building, you know, uh, 25% occupancy, then 50%. And we also knew that they would have been closed for a while. So they would have probably depleted, particularly the small businesses, their resources, their war chests. So they would be asked to open under all of these restrictions without the resources to do it. So what we ended up doing is taking the investments that we have made with the industries that we had successfully recruited over the years, and we used that money to buy PPEs for our small businesses, and we called it Project Rebound. And we ended up buying some 16,000 masks, received donations from Maker's Mark, who, like a lot of the distilleries, they went into the business of making hand sanitizer briefly. We received those donations. And for pennies on the dollar, we worked with our water department to make a disinfectant. And then we ended up having distribution dates in anticipation of the opening where we actually supplied all of our small businesses with mandatory PPEs at three specific dates. And we ended up assisting 281 small businesses that employed well over 1,800 people. And so when that mandate was lifted and they could open up, they could hit the ground running. And the benefit of that is that we have sales receipts now that are 10% higher during a pandemic than we were at the same time last year, pre-pandemic. Wow. So y'all are up 10% year over. We're up and we, we've been up 10% for the past four months, right in the middle of the pandemic since they lifted. And a lot of that is using your investment wisely. And again, I'll give the credit to the chamber on this as well. The chamber of commerce aggressively marketed eat local buy local. And so even though businesses were on standby, our larger industries were gearing up again, they had unemployment benefits. So we were encouraging people to spend their money locally. And for a variety of reasons, we were able to keep our businesses afloat and actually perform throughout this pandemic. Well, well, you know, we call it economic development, not economic management. That's what I tell people. I hadn't seen That's a development exactly right. yet that you didn't have a sales arm tied to. So I see a lot of communities make a mistake of, of sending data. You know, it's like drinking from the fire hose. You know, here's a hundred spreadsheets of why we're great. And, and it really is. But how do you distill that down? And what I think one of your talents is, is figuring out, okay, we got all this data. How do we make that a one minute elevator pitch? If that makes any sense. <laughs> It's interesting. I, unfortunately, I'm a data junkie and I love data. And there's always a story and there's always an answer in data. 
and a couple ways that we're using data, going back to what we first talked about, if there's only 5,000 people in our county seat, but we have 40 industries that employ 10,000 people, okay, where are we gonna get those extra 5,000 people? And now, by the way, again, our industries are doing so well that we have 400 job openings that we are attempting to fill. And so we are right now looking to the data to figure that out. And just to illustrate the importance of data is that we started having job fairs, drive-through job fairs during the pandemic right here in Marion County. And we ended up having four of them. And for whatever reason, four drive-through job fairs, 400 job openings, only about 25 people showed up combined. So I said, there's gotta be an answer in the data. And so I went back to the data and looked at the data and we have been employing the same number of people at our industries during this pandemic as we were pre-pandemic because we have essential industries. So I thought, well, we are at almost full employment. So where are we gonna find these people? So then we started looking at the employment activity in surrounding counties. And what we had found out is that the surrounding counties for whatever reasons, after the layoffs, had anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 people who did not choose to go back into the workforce. That means they were laid off and they also are not filing for unemployment. So what are they looking for? And so sure enough, we started having our drive-through job fairs in surrounding counties. And guess what? We ended up getting more people showing up at our drive-through job fairs in surrounding counties than all of the other job fairs that we had in Marion County combined. And so we've taken a job fair on the road and we also know that people will commute to Marion County for the right job and the right shift. So the numbers were very telling. And to augment that, we also know that over 4,000 people leave Marion County to work outside our county every day. So if we can at least figure out a way to capture 10% of those people that are leaving our county for a job and provide them an employment opportunity here, then we've covered our 400 employment gap. So again, that's a lot of numbers, Chad, but that's what the numbers tell you. And right. the numbers don't lie. Thank you, Pat. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Pat Ford right after this. On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that were sent out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been how to help small to mid-sized rural communities build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next. So one, thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time. So thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it. Thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join 
on on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once, or you can just buy one piece of content at a time. That's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. Well, our listeners can't see this, but I'm looking at Pat on Zoom. And I remember in West Virginia, you had a big marker wall that you had stuff written all over. And I don't see that here. So how you keep it up organized without that big marker board wall? Well, I won't show you my desk, but do you see that desk behind yeah, me? Yeah, I do see it, yeah. You see all the you, – you <laughs> That's all the, your marker board. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I'm always just moving around and looking for my notes. But uh, you see all the windows, too. You know, yeah. so I don't have that big blank wall where we can have all those notes on the wall that's either. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I didn't visit you in West Virginia, but I remember Alex did, and he took a picture of your wall and said, look at this. And so, yeah, what was also important, I don't know if Chad told you this, but uh, – and this goes back – in addition to sales being the most important thing about economic development, there is also a quote that I have on the top of that board, and it is, what are you prepared to do today? So you have to wake up every day – asking yourself, what do I need to do to close a deal? And a deal could be anything from making a phone call, applying for a grant, doing an industry visit. You know, life is about deals. You know, you're transacting with someone. So what are you prepared to do today? And you have to wake up every day asking yourself that. And so on that list, Chad, were all the things that I needed to be prepared to do today on something. Right. Well, walk us through your background. I know you worked in private industry as consultant, and you've been in Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Virginia and all. So how'd you fall into this, and, and what really made you decide that the economic development was the choice for you? So I spent about the first 10 years of my career as a developer's engineer and architect for a top 500 engineer and news record company, Whitney Bailey Cox of Magnani, based in Baltimore. I was schooled at the University of Virginia. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in city planning and architecture. And that's what I wanted to do. When you're young like that, you think that the only way to change the world is to start designing and building stuff. Well, what they really don't do in colleges teach you the difference between designing, building, and financing or deal making. You just assume that if you're working for a private company, you're doing all of the above. So my work at Whitney Bailey Cox and Magnani as a developer's engineer was to repurpose property, lay out communities, design shopping centers, and back in the 80s, if you remember, it was really all about subdivisions. We were going through this huge growth, and most of my work was in the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C., and I probably spent the first six years of my career rezoning farms in the D.C. suburbs and making planned communities. But after that, that started wearing on me, and I thought, you know what, I need to move to the government side and really start working on policy because it really wasn't adding value. Basically, it was one subdivision after the other. And after a while, all the subdivisions looked the same and all the names became the same. You know, you cut down an orchard and you make a subdivision, you call it the orchards. You know, you plow through a river and you put a subdivision, you call it the rivers. And they just kept looking the same. And I thought, you know, we've got to start making some reason as to why or start developing a vision. And so that's when I ended up getting into the government work. And had the good fortune to work for three mayors in Pittsburgh and advising a number of mayors in the mid-Atlantic region on public policy. And then after that, I got to the point where I realized that I had enough bandwidth and skill sets that maybe I could blend the two and really start getting into the meat of deal making and adding value in a community. And that's what put me into the nonprofit side, which is what was my previous job in West Virginia, which is very similar 
corporation that the Marion County Industrial Foundation is. It was the Business Development Corporation of the Northern Panhandle. And as a nonprofit, you can be an owner developer and you can also be an economic development office or authority. So you can provide the same services that any other public economic development agency provides, business retention, business recruitment, incentivize workforce developments, permit expediting. I mean, that's what they all do. But then you also get the added benefit as a private corporation of being owner developers. And that's a fine line in and of itself because what you don't wanna do is use that to compete with the private sector on economic development. And so what you end up doing is you find that window where you collaborate with them and you end up being the developer of last resort. You don't want to compete with your banks on financing, so you want to be the financing arm of last resort. And so a true economic development agency should be there to do the deals that the market by themselves won't support, to do the deals that a bank or a private developer won't touch. And then even at that point, you want to collaborate with your banks. You want to collaborate with the developers because, again, you want to be that gap, whether it's a gap developer or a gap financer or gap supporter. You want to be somewhere in that capital stack of all of those things. And that's where you truly add your value to the community as opposed to just being someone else in the mix to compete. So you not only like the sales side of it, you like the deal making side of it. Love the deal making. Yeah, yeah, that's obvious. Well, Pat, thank you for being with us today as we wind down. Is there anything I didn't ask you you might want to share with our audience? No, I just always appreciate the hospitality. And I'll tell you what, I really appreciate the work of Next Move Group. I mean, you all, if it wasn't for you, you know, I wouldn't have known that there was other parts of the country like this that had opportunities for someone like me with a skill set that had historically been in industrial Rust Belt cities, you know. And so I appreciate you making that match. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe this COVID will lift. You can go to the horse race. And I know you had not got to do that yet. You're going to like no, it. No, I haven't. You're going to like I'm it even more when you get to go to Keeneland. So I missed that this year. Usually when Mississippi State plays football at Kentucky, I go watch the football game of the horse racing. Good thing I didn't this year. We scored two points. So I'm better off. I'm better off <laughs> having it not went. So Pat, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. One more question as we end. Tell these folks your website. If they want to check out Marion, Kentucky, some of them might want to come tour there. And then we'll also put it on our email blast. It is MarionCountyKY.com. And also you'll get a taste of these, we call them hidden gems, the marketing videos that we have of our community. And uh, they tell nice stories about our workforce, about our community, our location, and why Marion County. All right. Thank you, Pat. Chad, thank you.